When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Three, two, one. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here. Welcome we. in to the episode 511 of the podcast. It's Swooping America, the Airtour Sports Podcast. It is Wednesday, March 23rd, 2022. People, I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is having a great week in the lead up to the Sweet 16. I hope everybody is ready for what is actually a loaded midweek episode of the Air Tour Sports Podcast. Here is what we are going to talk about today. We are going to do something very, very, very rare in March. We are going to open the show talking a little college football. Did you see the story? Tennessee five-star quarterback commit, but that's not the story. The story is Oh, he got some NIL money. We're going to talk about that. What does it mean? Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Is it just reality? Where are we with NIL as Nico Imamaliava, I believe is how you pronounce his name, got an insane NIL deal to commit to Tennessee. We will discuss that. From there, we'll take a quick break. We will get to the hoops. I do want to, before we preview the Sweet 16, the SEC coaching carousel. Six jobs in the SEC. Count them. Six opened up this spring. All six were filled with Matt McMahon, friend of the Aaron Torres pod, going to LSU. Lamont Paris going to South Carolina. I want to power rank the SEC coaching carousel. Who are the winners? Who are the losers among the six schools in the SEC that opened? And finally, we will wrap by talking a little Sweet 16, previewing all of the big games this weekend, starting on Thursday with Arkansas-Gonzaga, first game that tips off Thursday night. But with that said, let's get to the topic of the day. And I'll just say this. It isn't often that college basketball gets knocked off the lead of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast here in March. I love college hoops. The tournament's going on. I think it's been really fun, even though my team has been eliminated. But... On Monday, we got a piece of college football news that was so big and so interesting, I would be remiss if I did not talk about it on today's show. And it came from the world of high school football, where the number three quarterback in the high school class of 2023, a quarterback that just finished or is about to finish his junior year going into his senior year, made his college commitment. Five-star quarterback, Nico Imamaliava, I think I said that name right, Not far from where I live, down in Long Beach, California, 
Nico Imamaliava made his college commitment. And drumroll, please. Nico Imamaliava has committed to the University of Tennessee, picking the Vols over a bunch of other schools, most notably Oregon. And as you sit back and as you listen to this, I bet you're probably wondering one thing. You're probably sitting there saying, Torres, why are you talking about the commitment of a high school football player in the middle of March Madness? You never talk recruiting. I mean, every once in a while, you'll hit on a really, really big college football recruiting note. But in the middle of March, what could be so interesting about this commitment that you have decided that you need to interrupt our March Madness coverage to talk about a five-star quarterback that won't play college football for two more years? Well, the reason I'm talking about Nico Imamaliava is for one simple reason. There are reports, and actually pretty credible reports, unlike the Texas A&M stuff, which we'll get into in a minute. There is actually some very credible reports that Nico Imamaliava is getting insane, insane NIL money, and so that is why I have to talk about it. And when I say insane, I mean insane. According to a report from The Athletic, I'll give you the details in a minute, but Nico Imamaliava could make upwards of $8 million, according to a report that doesn't explicitly name him, but sort of names him. And so this is all alleged. This is all reported. None of it's 100% true. But this five-star quarterback could make upwards of $8 million, and it has caused chaos in the world of college football. And so the question becomes, how do we know all these details? So let me even backtrack a week or two. I think it was about 10, 10 days ago, two weeks ago, something like that. I remember it was a Friday night. I'm watching college hoops. I guess it was during championship week. And The Athletic puts out this report about collectives in college football. And some of you are probably sitting there wondering, what is a collective? What does that mean? Well, what a collective essentially is, is a group of boosters who have come together and basically put money in a fund to help with NIL deals in college athletics. It, of course, started with the best of intentions. Everybody throws in a couple bucks. And then if you want a, a whatever, basketball player, football player, tennis, golfer to come do something for you NIL related, you take a little money out of the collective. And if my understanding is correct, you give it to them and they come do some NIL stuff. So I want a UConn basketball player or a UConn women's basketball player to tweet out about the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, and I'm willing to pay 200 or 300 or 500 bucks. I go to the collective because, remember, NIL deals cannot be uh, done or helped or progressed by the school, so the collective handles it. I give them a check. They give it to the player, and the player does whatever NIL stuff that I want. Of course, because this is college sports, we all know that the second that NIL became a thing and the second that collectives became a thing with the best of intentions, there were going to be a lot of different schools that took the little collective ho-hum, here's 50 bucks to tweet about this, and just completely blew it up. And so the, the athletic report detailed, basically, the athletic report detailed a collective that had an agreement to pay a high school star football player upwards of $8 million to essentially commit to a school, but because of the verbiage and because of the way, remember, the, according to NCAA rules, it can't be pay for play, it can't be a recruiting inducement, and so the way this contract was structured, the Athletics saw it, it was basically an $8 million quote-unquote NIL deal, which was essentially pay for play and a recruiting enticement. 
And because people on the internet are smart, they kind of put two and two together. They saw that California is essentially one of the few states in America where players can get NIL money while still in high school. This contract starts as soon as the player commits. And basically everybody put together that it was this kid, Nico Imamaliava, who was getting $8 million to commit. So when he commits to Tennessee on Monday... Everybody kind of knows, okay, we put two and two together. We had a report. We knew it was this kid. He commits to this school. Now we know who is willing to pay, allegedly, reportedly. We don't know for sure, but we kind of know for sure $8 million for a high school quarterback. And so that's the story. Those are the details. And this is how we got to the point on Monday where you had basically every SEC fan base and really every college football fan base up in arms over the idea that the going rate for a high school five-star quarterback is now upwards of close to eight figures. And so many of you asked me about it. A few of you reached out. A few of you said, what do you think about this, Torres? You must be outraged. You must be so upset. You must be furious. You love college sports. Nobody loves college sports more than you. And you must be furious that there, we have this crazy almost eight-figure deal for a high school quarterback to go play college football in a year or two. To which I would say, I'm really not that upset. I really don't care. And I really don't have that big of a problem with it. Why don't I have a problem with it as somebody who loves college football and loves college basketball? Well, it's pretty simple. There are two reasons that I, this story, it doesn't bother me. First of all, for years, you guys and girls, and I don't mean you specifically, John or Bill listening to this show, but the metaphorical you people, the public, have been clamoring to get college athletes paid, to have NIL in place to help college athletes make money off the field. I was never against NIL. You can go back and listen to episodes from this show from three, four, five years ago. I was never against NIL. But at the same time, the reason I'm not upset, the reason I'm not mad, the reason I'm not furious that there may be a high school quarterback that gets upwards of $8 million to play SEC football over the next four years is because I told you this was going to happen. From the second NIL became a real talking point and we got to a point where it was going to happen at some point. You can go back to the episode I did after LeBron James and uh, Gavin Newsom, the California governor, signed the Fair Play Act back in like 2018 or 2019, I told you, this is what it's going to get to. I know when we all talked NIL on the granular level, and there's, by the way, there's a lot of people in the media that don't really understand how college sports worked. I think everybody thought it was going to be with the best of intentions. Oh, the star quarterback from Alabama is going to get paid a couple hundred bucks to go promote Uh, Uncle John's car wash or the rib shack or this place or a bar or a this or that. I even heard a credible recruiting writer say as much the other day in an interview that he was doing. To which I say, do you guys know college sports at all? Because why I'm not upset today is because the second we started talking about NIL, I told you this was going to happen. I told you that very quickly NIL was going to turn into pay for play and more importantly recruiting enticements and that the average person, even people who work in sports, have no idea how much the top high school players are going to go for. Because if you're paying them already, and most of them are all being paid, before, under the table, imagine what you can do when it all becomes above board. And we knew the NCAA wasn't really going to step in because the NCAA has no backbone. And so we knew it was going to spiral completely out of control 
in a matter of time, and that matter of time is less than a year. This is the first full recruiting class that has NIL in place. Obviously, the class of 2022, it happened the summer before. So now these kids have time to hire an agent, hire a lawyer, listen to offers. Schools have time to put stuff together. This is what was always going to happen. So why am I not mad? It's because I told you it was going to happen. It'd be like me listening to the weather report tonight, hearing that it's going to rain tomorrow, and then waking up and being mad because it's raining. It's like, you told me it was going to rain. Why am I going to be mad? And I told you three years ago, the second NIL got put into place, it was not going to be this uh, you know, feel good, the, the starting left tackle gets a deal with the car wash. It's going to be, go find me the best recruit, pay whatever it takes, get what, do, whatever it do, do whatever it takes to get him on campus. Now, I think the bigger question becomes, and this one's more interesting to me, is what does it mean for the future of college sports? Because I do think there's this belief that college sports is completely going off the train tracks. This is terrible. This is the worst thing ever. And while I would say, I do think, listen, I go back to what I've said from the beginning. I was never against NIL. I don't think that we should just be going to the highest bidder for recruits, but this is where it's going to, this was always where it was going to get. And so rather than me complaining about it, I live in the reality where this is. But what I would say is I don't think that, you know, I don't think that this is going to be, I don't think this is going to be as bad as everybody says, because all I hear is, oh my God, everybody's going to the highest bidder and it's going to ruin college sports and the rich are going to get richer and all that stuff. I don't buy any of that. I don't think it's going to ruin college sports as we know it. Because I do think that there are a couple factors that not enough people talk about. First of all, I do still think at the end of the day, most recruits, NIL is going to be a factor. I even talked about it with Texas A&M a few weeks ago. Now, the Texas A&M deal was different. Texas A&M was message board rumors that quickly became mainstream stuff. This is the athletic talking about a collective that has an $8 million contract on the table, and it's pretty obvious who the contract is going to, okay? So this is different to me than Texas A&M. But at the same time, I bring it up to say that while NIL will always be a factor going forward in any recruitment, I do still believe we're overblowing it for one reason. I do still believe that most kids are going to commit not because of NIL, but because of NFL or because of NBA or because of MLB. In other words, NIL will be a factor in recruitment, just like facilities are, just like system is, just like whatever. But at the end of the day, players are still going to, I believe, mostly commit because if they are a five-star, which means that they are on track to go to the NFL or NBA, they are still going to the place that is going to best put them in position to have success. If you're a basketball player, and I know basketball is a little different because it's the one and done, you can pretty much go anywhere, you're still probably going to choose Duke or Kentucky. I mean, go through the recruiting rankings this particular season, 2022, as it pertains to commitments. Before Shaden Sharp reclassified, Kentucky had three top 15 guys. Duke has three top 10 guys. It's because Duke and Kentucky, as bad as Kentucky was in this tournament, they put the most guys in the NBA, and that's the best place to go if you want to be put in position to have success. So I still believe that when push comes to shove, while NIL will be a factor, the best players are still probably going to choose Alabama because it's the best place, it's the best place to go to get you ready for the NFL. Ohio State, because it's the best place to get you ready for the NFL. Go to Tennessee. Listen, you could talk about this kid, and oh, he's a five-star, and he chose Tennessee, and oh my goodness. Well, you could, you could pick a lot worse coaches to play for than Josh Heupel. This isn't like this kid, and I know this guy doesn't coach anymore, but it's not like this kid is, is taking all this money to go play for Will Muschamp or to go play for, 
I don't know. I can't even. Who, who's a, the, the worst offensive mind you can think of? It's like he's going to play uh, at Army and, and run the triple option. He's going to play for a real coach in Josh Heupel that has proven an ability to get quarterbacks ready for the NFL. And so, yes, the, the number feels huge, but I still believe it's going to come down to, for most recruits, what is the place to best position you to get ready for the pros, not where can I make the most money right now this second. Secondly, I've heard this narrative that I just don't get where it's like, well, this is just going to make the rich richer. It's like, um, have you followed recruiting at all? Because I'm pretty sure that prior to NIL, Georgia, Alabama, and Ohio State basically had the number one, number two, number three recruiting class every single year from basically the last decade. And so this, I, I don't know how much the rich can get richer when they were already signing all the best players. As a matter of fact, I think it will have the opposite effect. I think NIL in some ways will balance the playing field. Now look, if you're a big enough school, if you're Texas, if you're Oklahoma, if you're Georgia, if you're Tennessee, if you're Florida, if you're Miami, whatever, you're going to find ways if a kid wants to come there and some school has this, but you can offer that, you're going to find a way to get the kid paid. But at the same time, nobody has unlimited funds, and so I do think that it's going to set up a situation where Tennessee if we go down a road where NIL has no real rules like it does now, Tennessee's going to have to figure out how do they want to spend their money. Maybe Tennessee wants to spend $8 million on a quarterback and not on anyone to block for them. I know that Texas has some kind of system put in place where I think every offensive lineman gets $50,000 the second they step foot on campus. And I saw an interview with Steve Sarkeesian on Monday where he basically said, like, look, we're really happy with how our offensive and defensive lines are shaking out. So in the first year of post-NIL, yes, Texas signed Quinn Ewers, the quarterback, former five-star who spent last year at Ohio State out of the transfer portal, but it seems as though their quote-unquote NIL money, a lot of it went to the offensive and defensive lines. And so I actually think in many ways this will balance the playing field at the, at the power five level. Now, where I think it'll get hurt is the group of five level because group of five teams, whether it's the Mountain West, Conference USA, whatever, um, Wyoming and San Jose State, if they have a good player, they just can't compete if one of these schools comes in and offers a quote-unquote NIL deal. And so to me, it, it feels like, I don't want to say much to do about nothing, but this idea that the rich are going to get richer, I'm pretty sure Alabama was already pretty good before this. The same with Ohio State, and now this could create a more competitive playing field. But the idea that I'm supposed to be outraged when all of you guys and girls told me for years, pay college players, pay college players, pay college players, did you not think it was going to get to a point where recruits we were just going to have bidding wars for? So I'm not upset. I'm not outraged. I just can't get there. And I'm very curious to see what happens over the next couple of years. One last thing I will say, though, one narrative that I do disagree with. I know some people say the rich will get richer. I don't agree with that one. The one thing I do wonder about, and this is just kind of a, to, to wrap up the point because I know I'm going long here. Um, I do wonder about the idea that, the, that, that, that the, 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 the playing field will balance itself out. In other words, like if, if Tennessee plays $8 million for this quarterback that they're, and he doesn't work out, that they're never going to pay for a, a recruit again. I just don't know that I believe that because that's not how recruiting works. Recruiting works in a way that every single year, every single guy you get committed is always better than the guy that you have on campus. And you can't wait to get this guy on campus because he's so much better. So that part I don't know about. But I am interested to see how this evolves over the next couple of years. One, I'm curious to see if the NCAA actually has the backbone to try to wrap its arms around it because, as I said from the beginning, I don't love this. I don't love the idea that a kid's going to get $8 million to go play college football when he's done nothing. My thing with NIL that I've said for weeks now, I, I did a segment probably about a month ago where I said, how do you fix NIL? 
I think the money should be going to the players that actually have earned it by actually contributing to the school. I didn't like the idea that Quinn Ewers was making a million-plus dollars a year at Ohio State as the fourth-string quarterback when there were guys on the field that were actually putting butts in the seats at the horseshoe and actually doing something to benefit the team on the field. But this is where we're at. So I'm curious to see if the NCAA puts its arms around it. I don't think they can at this point. I think the toothpaste is out of the tube. But like I said, this is what you guys and girls wanted. You told me for years we got to pay college athletes. Well, guess what? They're getting paid. And, uh, and this five-star quarterback, Nico Imamaliava, I hope I said that name right, reportedly $8 million to go to Tennessee. This is the new world we live in. We'll see what happens next. All right, that's what I want to do. I do want to take a quick break, and I do want to come back and talk a little college hoops. First off, we've had, over the last couple weeks, six different SEC head coaching jobs open up. We're going to come back, and I am going to rank from best to worst the hires. All six SEC schools have now been filled. From there, we'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll preview the Sweet 16. Not sure if you heard. We got some games coming up on Thursday. I'm going to take a quick break. I'll be right back. All right, we're going to get back to college basketball in a minute. It's March Madness. And you know what that means? It is time to welcome back our favorite sponsor. And yes, your lady's favorite sponsor, Manscaped, the worldwide leader in men's below-the-waist. Today, we're not talking about below-the-waist grooming because they've launched their ultra-premium collection, an all-in-one skin and hair care kit that has you covered from head to toe. And of course, because Manscaped loves your boy. Because Manscaped loves the Aaron Torres pot, all you got to go, all you got to do to get any of these products, go to manscaped.com, use promo code Torres, and you can have the world is your oyster, manscaped.com, promo code Torres. Fellas, let's be honest. First of all, let's just call a spade a spade. Manscaped has already helped you once before. Remember that little James Harden beard you had going on downstairs? It was disgusting. Manscaped helped that get cleaned up, and now, you can enhance the rest of your perfect grooming routine with the Ultra Premium Collection. What is the Ultra Premium Collection? You're probably asking, Aaron, what does it mean? I don't get it. Here's what the Ultra Premium Package is. Manscaped Premium Deodorant. This deodorant dries clear, is aluminum-free, and smells like their signature scent. Throw away that gross competitor. We know who they are. Get yourself some Manscaped. Also part of the Ultra Premium Package, the Hydrating Body Moisturizer. If you have tattoos or issues with your skin, it's designed to keep skin feeling clean, smooth, and smelling fresh. It also includes the body wash. I already told you about the body wash. I use it every day. I've never smelled better. I'm not telling you what Mrs. Torres may or may not do when I put that body wash on, but it's a winner. And, of course, the two-in-one shampoo. You'll have a head of hair better than Coach K once you're done with that. So that's the ultra-premium package. We're talking about the deodorant, the hydrating body moisturizer, the body wash, the two-in-one shampoo and conditioner, Plus, check this out, a free gift, a three-pack of lip balm that's made up with ingredients such as vitamin E, peppermint, and eucalyptus oil to keep your lips feeling fresh for whatever activities your lips are doing in March. It's not my business. And as I said, that is four products all in one inside the Ultra Premium Collection. The best part, all the products are cruelty-free, paraben-free, vegan-friendly, and dye-free. I mean, come on. Manscaped's got you looking good, smelling good, uh, without the James Harden beard, all for your March Madness party. Manscaped, worldwide leader in men's below-the-waist grooming. They have expanded the ultra-premium collection. Make sure to go to manscaped.com for all products. 
but the Ultra Premium Collection is what we're focused on today. Use promo code TORRES once you get there. 20% off plus free shipping. Manscaped.com. Tell them Torres sent you. Manscaped.com. Promo code TORRES. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Thank you again to our partners, our sponsors, Manscaped. Manscaped.com. Make sure you use promo code TORRES. 20% off plus free shipping. Ladies, as I always tell you, you can use Manscaped as well. If your husband's a slob, if he stinks, if you want him cleaned up a little bit, Manscaped.com. Promo code TORRES. All right, with that said, let's get to some college hoops. Obviously, Sweet 16 is coming up starting Thursday. We will preview those games coming up in a minute. But before we do, I actually want to kind of quickly talk about the college basketball coaching carousel, okay? Because I don't know if it was me or not, but it felt kind of quiet this year. Now, maybe it was because last year was just insane. If you remember back to this time last year, it was crazy. First of all, we had Indiana open up, and Indiana was the classic. They fired Archie Miller about a week or, uh, you know, a day or two after the season ended with no real plan on how to replace him. And so now you got Indiana open up for three, three and a half, four weeks before they settled on Mike F. and Woodson. I like the hire in hindsight, but in the process, you had Brad Stevens rumors, you had Thad Mata rumors, you had Chris Beard rumors, you had, I don't even remember, Eric Musselman rumors probably. Uh, they settled on Mike Woodson. Yes, I did not like it at the time. I came around to it. But the point remains that job was open for like three weeks and we had so much content to talk about. Then right when that job closes, oh, by the way, North Carolina, Roy Williams announces his retirement on April 1st. I remember it being April 1st because a lot of people thought it was an April Fool's Day joke. Nope. Roy Williams retires two, three days later. Hubert Davis gets hired there. Then when we think it's really done, after the Final Four, Arizona fires Sean Miller, and it takes another week or so for them to hire Tommy Lloyd. And so you're talking about big brand name jobs that were opening, opening in April. Forget just open in general, open in April on top of the Texases, on top of the Texas Techs. Obviously, Duke was a little bit of a different deal because that was announced in whatever it was, June or July. But I just bring it up to say last year was crazy. This year feels much less crazy. And it was interesting because I was talking to my buddy Nick Coffey today on, on his show. I went on his show on Tuesday morning. And I was talking to Nick Coffey. He goes, man, that coaching carousel just blew on by. And it didn't really strike me. But essentially, all of the big jobs are open. Obviously, the big one, Louisville hires Kenny Payne. We talked about that on last Friday's show. Maryland hires Kevin Willard. I think it's a good hire. Maryland's really the only school that got a big name sitting head coach to leave one place for another. But where the, the carousel got really interesting and where I want to talk about it now is in the SEC. In the SEC, it just means more, baby, and it just meant more coaching openings this year with six different schools opening up in this college basketball coaching carousel cycle. Now, there were some unique circumstances that led to six being open, but with six openings all six are officially filled as I record here on Tuesday night and I thought it'd be a good time to not only look at them but do what we do in in sports talk and sports podcasts and rank them baby that's right we had six different schools with six different hires you might know a lot about some of the candidates you might know less about others and so what we're going to go ahead and do is look at all six coaching candidates or excuse me all six coaching hirings and rank them from best to worst Quick reminder before we start, let me tell you what the six openings and, and, and coaching hirings were. First of all, Georgia fires Tom Crean. They hire Florida head coach Mike White. 
That means that Mike White is now, or Florida is now looking for a new head coach to replace Mike White. They go get San Francisco head coach Todd Golden. After that, we had Mississippi State sort of fire Ben Howland. They waited till after the NIT, but it got out and all this stuff. Anyway, they end up getting Chris Jans, the head coach at New Mexico State. Missouri fires Conzo Martin. I would say Quanzo. It's Conzo Martin. They hire the Cleveland State head coach, Dennis Gates. And the most recent two were filled Monday night. LSU, of course, had fired Will Wade because of everything that went on there. They hire friend of the Aaron Torres pod, Matt McMahon, the head coach of Murray State. And then finally, South Carolina fired Frank Martin. They hired Lamont Paris, who was the head coach of Chattanooga. Chattanooga, of course, just played in the NCAA tournament where they lost to Illinois. And so those are the six head coaching hirings and firings. Georgia, Florida, Missouri, Mississippi State, LSU, South Carolina, all with new head coaches. Now, let's do what we do on this show and let's rank the hirings from worst to best, six to one. Let's start with number six. Drum roll, please. The worst of the six hirings. You might not be surprised. I do think it is Mike White, the new head coach at Georgia. And I actually feel kind of bad listing Mike White at number six because it feels like all I do is crush Mike White on this show. And I do think there is something to be said about the hiring of Mike White. It is worth noting, as critical as I am of Mike White, he coached for Florida at Florida for seven years. He made four NCAA tournaments, and he won a game in each. It's also worth noting one of those years there was no NCAA tournament. So really, of the six years where there was an NCAA tournament, he made the NCAA tournament in four of those years and won a game each. And what I will say, if that is why Georgia is hiring him with the baseline of just make the NCAA tournament and we'll love you forever— then it's actually not a terrible hire, right? Like, like, like the expectations at Florida coming off the Billy Donovan era were probably a little bit unrealistic. And if Mike White just goes to Georgia and does what he did, then he will have success and they will love him and they will probably keep him for 15 years. Make a tournament, you know, four times out of every six years, Georgia would kill for that. Let's just say there's a couple reasons, though, why I am not sold on the hire and why I'm not sold that that's going to happen. First of all, what I would say about Georgia is this. The reason that I rank the job a little bit lower and the hiring the worst of the SEC is because they were essentially the first major school to open outside of Louisville and Maryland who got rid of their coaches midseason. And when that job opened, the whole point of firing Tom Crean the day after his season ends is so that you can go out and get the best possible candidate. I said it on this show. I was a guest on Sirius XM SEC. I don't feel like I'm taking people behind the scenes or saying something I shouldn't. Aaron Murray, the former Georgia uh, Bulldogs quarterback, was the coach. And he said, I just want to win. Get me Rick Pitino. I don't care. He was asking me about candidates. And so I bring it up to say the Georgia mindset was essentially, we want to be first. We see all these other schools. Arkansas, Auburn, Alabama, I know they had a disappointing year this year, Kentucky, Tennessee, they are winning and they are kicking our butt. Let's go get the best coach available. So when you're first to market and you fire Tom Crean to get ahead of everybody and you end up with Mike White, I'm sorry, but that, 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 that doesn't count. Like It's not that it doesn't count, but it, I, it's not. I'm sorry that I'm not sold that it's the most incredible hire ever made. On top of that, that kind of speaks to why I also think it's probably number six on this list. When the school that got rid of the head coach 
is more happy than the school that got the head coach. That's a major red, you know, red flag warning sign. It's a white flag, what red flag, whatever. It's a major warning sign. It's a major warning sign when the head coach that left the last place, that fan base is happier than the school that actually got him. And it's particularly tough to be a Georgia fan in this particular case because it's a huge rival that you share a border with. Okay, not sure if you heard Florida and Georgia share a a border. There is literally a band called Florida Georgia Line. And I'm guessing there's a lot of Gators fans that are poking fun at a lot of Georgia fans right now over this hire. And finally, the last reason why I got to put Mike White at the bottom of this list. I know I just said a minute ago, if the baseline is just make an NCAA tournament, we'll be happy. Here's the question, though. Are we sure that he can do that at Georgia? Because first of all, Georgia has no history. We know that this isn't a make fun of Georgia segment. But at the same time, remember, he inherited a really good situation from Billy Donovan. He inherited a veteran team with veteran players. And yes, there was an adjustment period. And who knows how much was the coach to blame, how much the players didn't want to adjust, all that good stuff. But I bring it up to say he inherited a really good situation at Florida. Here's the problem. At Georgia, he is inheriting by far the worst roster in the SEC. And oh, by the way, all Georgia's good players are graduating. All the guys that are good are gone, are leaving. And so to me, to just assume, well, if he could just make the tournament every year, yeah, if he can make the tournament every year, he's great. I'm just not sold that he can do it when he's taking over, maybe not even the worst roster in the SEC, maybe the worst roster in major college basketball. I worry, and so Mike White is number number six in terms of the best to worst, worst to best coaching hires. Number five, let's go to Gainesville. I talked a lot about Todd Golden on last show, so I'm not going to over-dramatize or over-dramatize or whatever the term is this coaching hire, but let's just say I have some concerns about Todd Golden, the new head coach at Florida. Talked about it on Monday's show. For people who don't know much about his background, he came from San Francisco. He led San Francisco to an NCAA tournament bid this year, and at large, that's an incredible accomplishment for that school. He's known as an analytics guy. Couple problems. One, While he certainly had success this year as a head coach, he did not build that program from the ground up. He inherited a really good situation from a guy named Kyle Smith. Kyle Smith leaves to Washington State. Todd Golden takes over and basically continues to build on the blueprint that was already in place. So it's not like even at 36, even with the analytics, it's not like he built the program from the ground up. It's the fact that he inherited a good situation. He didn't screw it up to his credit, but he didn't, you know, he's not uh, Eric Musselman taking a team from, uh, you know, whether it was at Nevada or Arkansas from nothing to something over, overnight. On top of that, really with the Todd Golden thing, though, what it really comes down to is what I said on Monday's show. It's cool that you're the analytics guy. It's cool that you have cool spreadsheets and numbers and data and this and that. Well, guess what? You know who also has data and numbers and information and spreadsheets? Uh, Eric Musselman. Eric Musselman looks at the data. Eric Musselman looks at the advanced stats. Eric Musselman looks at the metrics. Nate Oates is known as an analytics guy. Bruce Pearl uses analytics. And so I just bring it up to say, it's not as though he doesn't have some data that other people don't have. And he's going into a conference where those same coaches have the same data with the same support staff, with the same people feeding him that information. And they just got better players than you. And at the end of the day, this sport, and really this conference, maybe more than anything else, it is a talent acquisition business whether it's through the portal, whether it's through the high school ranks, whether it's through JUCO, whether it's grad transfers, you got to have players in this league. And whether it is 
Rick Barnes, whether it is John Calipari, whether it is Bruce Pearl, I know those guys can recruit. By the way, some of the guys that were hired this coaching cycle, which we're going to talk about, I know they can recruit in the SEC footprint. I don't know if Todd Golden can, and I understand he coached at Auburn for two years. He's not foreign to what goes on in the SEC and recruiting at the highest levels of the SEC, but he ain't been here forever either. Now, like I said last on Monday's show, to be fair to Todd Golden, Nate Oates had no experience. He's recruiting well. Eric Musselman had no experience in the SEC, but he signed a McDonald's All-American at Nevada. He signed some players at Nevada through the portal. So maybe Nate Oates is the good example of he had never recruited at this level and he's adjusted well. With Todd Golden, I'm just not sold. I need to see what his staff looks like and I need to see what his team looks like. I will say, though, I do think they'll be better prepared. I don't think they'll lose the weird games that they did under Mike White. Todd Golden coming in at number five. At number four... In terms of the worst to best SEC coaching hires, let's go with Lamont Paris at number four, the new head coach at South Carolina, okay? And this is a guy that I'll readily admit, I did not know a ton about about 10 days ago, two weeks ago, and then I watched them during champ week in the SOCON final, and I was blown away by how well coached they were, how fun their style of play is, and frankly, how talented they were for a team that was in the non-traditional power, in a mid-major conference, essentially. I don't know why I said non-traditional, in a mid-major, okay? Then they go to the NCAA tournament, and let's be honest, they completely outplayed Illinois for about 37, 38 minutes. Illinois rallies, Illinois wins. Chattanooga was the better team for most of that game. So I really like this guy, and I actually think he can have a relative level of success at South Carolina for two reasons. One, just watching them, he seems to play a very modern style of basketball, pace and space, ball movement, shoot a lot of threes, freedom for your guards. I think that is easy to recruit to, okay? Nobody wants to play uh, old school, pound the ball into the post. Maybe maybe Midwestern kids want to do it because that's all they do in the Big Ten. But for the most part, kids want to get out, they want to play, they want to run, they want to score, they want to shoot. And I do think he'll be able to recruit well with the system that he plays. And on top of that, I'll give him credit. He was an early adapter of the portal. And if you looked at his roster, and they talked about it plenty during the broadcast, he was very aggressive in the portal. Their best player, Malachi Smith, was a transfer. It was talked about a lot, but Silvio D'Souza, former Kansas Jayhawk, was a transfer. And so to me, there are a lot of guys that say they want to be aggressive in the portal. There are other guys that have actually done it, right? Eric Musselman has done it for years and had success. Um, You know, I'm just trying to think off the top of my head, uh, you know, Fred Fred Hoiberg, whoever. The point is there's some guys that, that feel like they have to do it. There are some guys that are good at it. This guy is it. My only concerns with Nate Lamont Paris, who comes in at number four on this list. One, South Carolina is just a really hard place to win. I know South, uh, Flor- Frank Martin just took him to a Final Four, but that was his only NCAA tournament appearance in 10 years at the school. And I looked this up and I was kind of blown away. First of all, two NCAA tournament appearances total this century. So 20, 2000 to 2022, two total NCAA tournament appearances coming into or coming out of 2022. They have won, they have made it to, forget the, the, the final forwards they just made in 2017. Prior to 2017, you know the last time they won a game in the NCAA tournament, they made the second round of the NCAA tournament? 1973, that was a long time ago. So one, it's a really hard place to win. And two, the only other thing, and I don't have a feel for this right now, but Lamont Paris was ver- the very clear number three priority for South Carolina. 
As I said on Monday's show, it was reported that Sean Miller was actually offered the job, turned it down to go to Xavier, where he felt like I have a more level of comfort. I can win. You know, I think I can have success at Xavier. And also, Matt McMahon from Murray State kind of turned him down to take LSU. So I only bring it up because we know that when you're the very public third choice, it's an uphill battle with a fan base. I think South Carolina is so beaten down, I think they'll give him a chance. Lamont Paris comes in at number four. Speaking of Matt McMahon, he comes in at number three on this list. And to be clear, I think in terms of two things, in terms of being the best coach, maybe the most accomplished coach on this list, and in terms of the best situations that he could possibly inherit, that a head coach could possibly inherit, Matt McMahon might be number one in both categories. First of all, insanely successful. And I know that Murray historically has been an insanely successful program and everybody that goes there wins. But it's still worth noting that in the last five seasons, Murray State has four regular season OVC titles, Ohio Valley titles. They made three NCAA tournament appearances. And the one year that they didn't make the NCAA tournament, first of all, they didn't make the NCAA tournament in 2020, but they obviously won the regular season that year. And then last year, the only, the only real down year he's had the last five, six years was during the COVID year when everything was crazy. So the last three seasons that weren't a COVID year that didn't have the tournament canceled, he made the NCAA tournament. Beyond that, I mean, obviously his track record speaks for itself. He's a great talent evaluator. He found John Morant before anybody else did. Imagine John Morant in the SEC, by the way, at LSU. That'd be awesome. And then some of the guys on this year's roster, Tevin Brown, KJ Williams, Matt McMahon talked about it on this podcast. So those guys could play for anyone in the country. We just evaluated them early. We got in good with them early, and they believed in us, and we were able to keep them here for four years. And so when you look at why Matt McMahon can work, he is a great coach, and he is a great talent evaluator. And it was interesting to read some of the reaction from LSU fans. They're like, this guy's a more accomplished coach than, than anybody we've had in a while. My concerns with Matt McMahon, and oh, by the way, I should mention too, by the way, with Matt McMahon. Matt McMahon has by far the most talent on his roster as it is currently constructed. Will Wade, you can criticize him for a lot. He left the cupboard full. And if Matt McMahon can just convince all of the guys in that locker room, Eric Gaines, Mawani Wilkinson, um, and we're going to assume the seniors leave and NBA, anybody that's going to get drafted in the first round like Tari Eason leaves. But the guys that are, that are still in that locker room, again, Eric Gaines, uh, Mawani Wilkinson, Alex Fudd, there's some really good players on that roster. And if he can just convince them all to stay, he can have an NCAA tournament team next year. But that's the problem. We know what Will Wade is accused of. We know what he did. And we know that, that LSU could be facing some very major NCAA sanctions. And so the only reason I don't have Matt McMahon higher on this list is because I don't know what his first couple years are going to look like. What if they get a two-year postseason ban? How do you recruit to that? What if you get a severe scholarship reduction? How do you recruit to that? And so I'm not rooting against Matt McMahon. He's a friend of the Aaron Torres pod. He loves me. I think he loves me. I don't really know if he loves me, but you get the point. I just had about him two weeks ago. I think he likes me, but the point is that I can't really grade him any higher because I don't really know the situation that he's walking into, and that situation could be really, really, really tough, and so if he could just keep his guys in the program, I think he can have success right away. The question is what happens with the sanctions, what happens long-term, that is what's fascinating to me. Number two on this list, he might be a guy that you guys and girls don't know a lot about, Missouri hired Dennis Gates, the head coach previously at Cleveland State. Let me just say, I really, really, really like this hire. So Dennis Gates, first of all, took over Cleveland State at like the worst possible time. Uh, the team was bad. The program was bad. 
they have a head coaching vacancy in like late July. So most times you take over in April, you get to hit the portal, you get to hire this, you get to do that, you get to go do a full cycle of recruiting. He gets the job in July when recruiting is done and he's basically screwed. Year one though, he still wins enough to win uh, the conference coach of the year. Year two, wins the conference regular season title, conference tournament title, makes the NCAA tournament last year. This year, second straight year, third year overall, he wins the, he wins the regular season title, does lose in the conference tournament. But why I like Dennis Gates is a few reasons. One, if you can flip, first of all, if you can take over a team like that, have the success that he did, you know he's a great coach. And my understanding is he's a great program builder and roster builder and the players love him. And I do think that matters. But just as importantly, I think he's the one guy on this list of all the guys that I've mentioned. I think he's going to be able to go into the SEC and recruit right away, okay? First of all, he was a long, before he was at Cleveland State, he was a longtime assistant to Leonard Hamilton at Florida State. They recruit Atlanta, they recruit Florida, they recruit the Panhandle, they recruit all over the Southeast. So this guy is actually, in many ways, coming back to his comfort zone, even though he's been in the Midwest over the last couple years. On top of that, I'll also say this. I really do think that Missouri, in some ways, is a sleeping giant in the SEC. Now, is it a better job than Kentucky? No. Is it a better job than Arkansas? I don't believe so. But at the same time, they have real history And I do think it's kind of a unique job from this perspective. I still, I know they've been in the SEC for a decade. I still think of Missouri as more Midwest than I do think of them as Southeast. And so I think Missouri has access to a different player than maybe Alabama, Auburn, Tennessee, Georgia, Florida do. Because they can recruit Illinois. They can recruit Chicago, which is obviously in Illinois. Missouri has a lot of good players. And I think they're going to have access to guys that other guys don't, right? Like like Auburn's not going to fly up to Chicago to recruit a player. They're going to stay in Atlanta. They're going to stay in Alabama. They're going to stay in Florida. Same with Georgia. Same with Florida. Same with Alabama. Same with whoever. Texas A&M is probably going to focus on Texas. Missouri's going to have most of that Midwest area all to themselves. And I think Dennis Gates, if he wants to, I haven't talked to him. I don't know. But I think he's going to have a pitch kind of like what Mark Stoops did with Kentucky football. Hey, Ohio kids, this is Mark Stoops now. Hey, Ohio kids, don't go play in that, that slow, boring Big Ten. Come play SEC football. And Mark Stoops has cleaned up in Ohio for a decade. I think Dennis Gates can have the same level of success at Missouri, and he's the one. I really, really, really think that he is going to have a ton of success there. And I think when I say ton of success, I mean that's NCAA tournaments. That's maybe a, a second weekend run here and there. And I think he's going to be able to recruit at the level that you need to win. I'm not positive that any of these other guys are going to be able to recruit at the level that they need. I do think Missouri will be able to, and I actually really, really, really like this hire. It's also worth noting, by the way, I should mention this. Missouri has a new AD. Her name is Desiree Reed Francois, okay? Why do I bring it up? It's because she was just at UNLV before she got the Missouri job. It's important because the hire that she made about three years ago in basketball was a guy named TJ Otzelberger. T.J. Otzelberger was at UNLV for two years. Then he left to take the Iowa State job because Iowa State really was his dream job. Uh, His wife played there. He was an assistant coach there forever. Iowa State truly was a dream job. But Desiree Reed Francois hired him at UNLV. And so she has kind of a nice track record of identifying young, talented coaches that are on their way up. Am I positive Dennis Gates is going to work? I'm not. But I actually really, really like how this could potentially work out. Dennis Gates at number two. And then finally, number one, I'll say this. Number one, I'm going to go 
with Mississippi State, and I'm going to go with Chris Chance. And let me, before I get into why I like the hire, let me just say something really quickly. This ranking is not who is definitively going to be the best head coach out of all of them. It's not going to be who, when we look back in 10 years, who's won the most tournament games, who's won a national championship, who's won this, who's won that. Because to be blunt, if we're being honest, the only school that of any of these that has opened that has proven capable of winning a national championship is Florida. So it's not about who's the best coach or who's going to have the most tournament wins or who's going to have the most final fours. It's about who's the best fit for the job that they got. And I got to be honest, this Chris Jans guy, I am really, really, really impressed for a lot of the reasons that I already talked about on Monday show, so I'm not going to belabor the point. I'm not going to get too far into it, okay? But at the same time, Chris Jans, first of all, has coached at every level of college basketball, and I love these guys. Coached at the JUCO level, longtime assistant, gets, the, gets a job in the MAC. I believe it was Bowling Green. I don't know why it's not in my notes, but I believe it was Bowling Green. He gets fired for doing something real stupid. You can Google it. I'm not going to forgive or apologize or forget about it. And then builds himself back up, gets New Mexico State, and just gets New Mexico State rolling. And what I loved about this New Mexico State team is, and really his, all of his New Mexico State teams, because even dating back to 2018, they played in the NCAA tournament in San Diego. I was at those games. The New Mexico State team I saw in 2018 looked an awful lot like the one that just beat UConn in the tournament and almost took Arkansas down as well tough, physical, real identity. And I think that's what you need at Mississippi State. Because again, this comes down to so much about recruiting. And why it's important is because recruiting, one, is obviously the lifeblood. But two, every job has its inherent advantages and disadvantages, okay? And Mississippi State is, to be blunt, I don't think any Mississippi State fan would disagree. It's a hard place to recruit to. And the players that Kentucky can recruit, and the players that, I don't even know, even Arkansas can recruit. Arkansas has multiple McDonald's All-Americans in their state this year. Well, one McDonald's all You get the point. They got a bunch of top 100 players. Mississippi State doesn't re- produce the same caliber of players, and you're probably not going to have access to them. And so you, if you're Mississippi State, need to find a guy that can win doing things differently. If you're just trying to find the guy that's going to be the next Nate Oates or be the next Eric Musselman or be the next John Calipari. I don't know if, not only do I not know if that guy exists, but beyond that, what I would also say is I'm just not sure that you're going to be able to get the players. If you're choosing between Kentucky and Mississippi State, you're going to choose Kentucky. You're choosing between Arkansas and Mississippi State, you're probably going to choose Arkansas. And so I like that they got a guy that has an identity, that knows who he is, that knows the types of players that he wants to recruit. And I just think this guy's going to be really, really, really good. So how you like that? I just got you caught up on the SEC coaching carousel. Six jobs opened from worst to best. Mike White at Georgia, number six. Todd Golden at Florida, number five. Uh, Lamont Paris at South Carolina, number four. Matt McMahon at LSU, number three. Number two, of course, was Dennis Gates at Missouri. Number one was Chris Jans at Mississippi State. So what I do? I want to take a quick break. I want to come back. We're going to talk a little NCAA tournament. Sweet 16 starts on Thursday. We are going to have a full preview. I will be right back. All right, we're going to get back to the college hoops in a minute. But before we do, it's March. The tournament is here. And DraftKings Sportsbook has an incredible offer for first-time users that want to make a wager on one of these college basketball games. Sweet 16 coming up, Elite 8 coming up, Final Four coming up, National Championship game. You can get your bet in. Here's how it works, and this is the offer. Make a $5 
money line bet on any team this coming weekend. If you like Gonzaga, if you like Arkansas, if you like Kansas, if you like Providence, all you got to do is bet $5 on them to win. And if they win, you get $200 in free cash courtesy of the DraftKings Sportsbook. Best deal going. Here's how it works. Click the link in the show description and sign up for a new account with the DraftKings Sportsbook and make your first deposit. Make a $5 bet on any team. And if your team wins... You get an automatic $200 in free bets thanks to our friends at DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook. It's the best offer going in sports betting. $5 money line bet, $200 in free bets if it wins. Best offer going, act now. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537 in Illinois. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER in Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Wyoming, 1-800-9 within Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-888-532-3500 in Virginia, 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, or call or text Tennessee Redline, 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. Must be 21 plus or over to enter, 18 plus or over in Wyoming, Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming, Louisiana, New York only. Minimum $5 deposit, minimum $5 wager. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for full terms and conditions. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Thank you again to our partners, DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook. Remember, click the link. In the show description, make a bet, $5 money line bet, $5 money line bet on any team that is playing this weekend. If that team wins, you get $200 in free bets. Click the link, sign up for an account, go to the sports book, make your bet, win the bet, 200 bucks, all courtesy of your buddy Aaron Torres. With that said, let's wrap the show here, final segment of the show, and let's look ahead to Thursday and Friday's games. Now, it is worth noting. We are going to do an episode on Thursday night recapping what has happened on Thursday night. Four really good games on Thursday night. Uh, and But with that said, I'm still going to do a preview of Thursday and Friday. Now we're going to hit on all eight of the Sweet 16 games. And I'll just say this. I know it's kind of a wonky, weird bracket. But at the same time, I think we're in for a couple really good days of basketball. Uh, again, we'll do a recap of Thursday on Thursday night. But I'm still going to hit on both the Thursday and Friday games now. And on Friday's episode, I'll give you a quick recap of where I see some of the Friday games going. But let's get into it. Let's start. And I'll say this. The first game on Thursday is one of the more interesting ones in the Sweet 16. We do go to the West region. The West region, the only region of the four that has all four of the top teams advancing to that West regional and will open 709 Eastern, 409 Pacific with number four Arkansas, the four seed in that region, facing number one Gonzaga. I'll give you the point spreads, of course, because DraftKings is one of our sponsors. All of the spreads are courtesy of DraftKings. Gonzaga opening as a nine and a half point favorite in this game. Arkansas fans, how can you not be offended? What I would say is I think you should be offended. I think that number feels a little bit high to me, and it feels a little high for a couple reasons. First of all, you guys know I'm not a Gonzaga critic by any stretch of the imagination, but it's not like they've been playing incredible in this tournament. First of all, they lose their regular season finale to St. Mary's. They do take care of two NCAA tournament teams at the WCC tournament, St. Mary's and San Francisco. But at the same time, in this NCAA tournament, just look at what they've done. First round game against Georgia State, they're only up by two at the half. They do end up going on to win pretty comfortably, 21 points. Then on Saturday, down 10 at the half to Memphis and rally to win. 
Now you got to play an Arkansas team that, like Memphis, is playing really, really well back half of the season. It is worth noting, Arkansas has been playing much better for much longer than Memphis in a much tougher conference, going 17-3 and over their last 20 games. My one concern for Arkansas coming into this one, um, I would say this, is that while the team itself has been impressive, I am starting to get a little bit concerned about the offensive production. Now, to be clear, you've played a lot of good defensive teams over the course of the back half of this season, whether it is Auburn, whether it is Tennessee, whether it is Vermont in round one, whether it is New Mexico State in, in round two. But at the same time, you go back through uh, Arkansas's last couple games, 64 points in that loss to Texas A&M in the SEC tournament. Okay, it happens. Bounce back, play a little bit better against Vermont, put up 70-plus points. Then you score in the 50s, then you shoot 27% against New Mexico State. And so that's not to discredit New Mexico State. I think they obviously were a very well-coached team, ready to go. I just talked about Chris Jans a minute ago. But at the same time, you're now going up against a Gonzaga team that has real rim protection and, to its credit, plays real defense this year. This isn't last year's Gonzaga team that had to beat you 92-91 to to win every single game. Chet Holmgren, for as goofy as he looks, as weird as he looks, he is a great rim protector. Drew Timmy is effective down low, although obviously defensively he is not as effective. And I, I look at Arkansas, and listen, you guys know I've loved Arkansas all year, loved the hell out of Eric Musselman, what he has done with that program. But the one thing that they really have struggled with is real size down low. I go back to that incredible Auburn win uh, during SEC play. You beat the number one team in the country. It's an incredible night. But you go back, Walker Kessler did have seven blocks in that game. And while you did beat the number one team in the country, it was in overtime. And it's not to discredit what Arkansas did. It's just to say that that was a tough matchup for them. And I think Gonzaga personnel-wise is very similar probably with some better guards. So I do like Arkansas to cover this game 9.5, but I do think that Gonzaga probably ultimately wins. I just think they're really good at the guard spots, and then they're really big down low, size and length down low, which I do think can give Arkansas some trouble. Gonzaga advances. Let's go over to the South, where the first game in the South Regional that's played Thursday night, really fun one between Michigan and Villanova. Now I will say... Not going to lie, no disrespect, Michigan fans. I was kind of hoping we got Tennessee-Villanova, but that's not a discredit to Michigan, who was the better team against Tennessee, and we talked about it on Monday's show. They were the deserving team. I don't care what the seed says. They are the team that belong, that deserves to be here, and I do think it's going to be an interesting game for a couple of reasons. First of all, Michigan's just playing you know, much better, really, over the last month of the season. Now, obviously, they took a few losses here and there, but they, they, they had success down the stretch, won some games down the stretch late, and then, of course, looked really, really, really good in their two NCAA tournament games. On top of that, Villanova, what have we talked about on this podcast all year? Why did I pick against them in, against Arizona in the Elite Eight if they do face Arizona? It's because of that size down low. Villanova, from just about literally day one of this season, has struggled with size. They played UCLA the second week of the season at Pauley Pavilion. I was there. Villanova was in complete control. And then the final three, four minutes, UCLA just bullied him in the paint, and UCLA ends up winning that game. A few weeks later, Villanova goes to, to play Purdue in that uh, Mohegan Sun tournament in November. Villanova's in complete control. Purdue late just bullies him down low. Zach Eady and Travion Williams. Purdue wins. Baylor, physical on the wings, physical down low, takes care of Villanova. So I know we're talking about games that were played months ago, but because Villanova is not big, I just don't think they have very much margin for error. Go back to last weekend. 
Yes, they beat Ohio State by 10, but if you watch that game, it was a four-point game with five minutes to go. Go back to the Big East tournament before that. Oh, by the way, did you pay any attention to that? Villanova wins the championship game by six. They beat UConn in the semifinals by three. They They beat St. John's in the quarterfinals by one. And so this is a team that plays close games. This is a team that does, to its credit, win, but they've struggled with size and physicality down low. I will take Villanova. I would not bet it. If I had to guess, I would probably take I'd probably take Villanova to cover, but I think it's going to be a sweat. That's why I'm not going to bet it. I think they win by five, six, seven, hit some free throws late. I do think Villanova wins to advance to the Elite Eight. Let's go to the second set of games on Thursday night. I'm telling you, we got some great games on Thursday night. Duke playing Texas Tech in that second game in San Francisco. The winner will play the winner of Gonzaga, Arkansas. And I'll say this. Texas Tech is a one-point favorite. The Vegas odds makers, the DraftKings odds makers kind of think this will be even and balanced. I think it's going to be very much the same. And when I look at this game, I think to me, it's the saying that I always say on this show. Two things can be true. And when I say two things can be true as it pertains to this game, this is what I'm thinking. I do think that Duke has looked better than I was expecting coming into this tournament. I wasn't all that impressed with Texas Tech on Sunday night against Notre Dame. Had to hold on late and survive for dear life. But at the same time, two things can be true. I think Duke's been better than I expected. I think Texas Tech has been worse than I expected. I do think Texas Tech wins this game. And it's not because I picked Texas Tech or I hate Duke or this or that. I think it's just a really tough matchup. Texas Tech is a much older team. They're a bunch of grown men. They have their style of play, and they like Arkansas, like San Diego State. I've mentioned about four or five teams throughout the season. They make you play their game, and they're going to beat you at their game, and that's how Texas Tech is. You look at the stats on their defense, it is incredible. Number three in the country in field goal percentage defense. Number five in points per game allowed. And so if we even just go back to that Duke win against Michigan State the other day, which admittedly was very impressive as far as I'm concerned, I also think you could kind of poke holes in it. Duke was in South Carolina, very pro-Duke crowd, and they were down with like four minutes to go. So now you're far away. I think the crowd will be pretty balanced. My guess would be in a late game if Gonzaga wins or even if Arkansas wins, most of their fans will be cheering for Texas Tech. They don't want to play Duke. Everybody roots against Duke. I'm telling you, I, I just I, if I'm a Duke fan, this is not the matchup that I want to see. I will take Texas Tech to win and cover the one point. Final game of Thursday night. Whoa, buddy, is this going to be a good one? Houston playing Arizona South Regional winner will get the winner of the Villanova-Michigan game and a very interesting point spread. Arizona opens up, and and not only opens up, the money has stayed consistent. They are a one and a half point favorite against the Houston Cougars, a minuscule point spread for a number one seed that many people thought, including myself, was the best team in this tournament coming in. I do think it's for a few good reasons, though. First of all, what I would say, first thing that jumped out to me when I saw this was a Thursday night game, that is a quick turnaround for Arizona, okay? So let's think about Arizona. They play an emotional, exhausting, physical game on Sunday night. It's the last game of the day on Sunday. It tips off, I think, about 7 o'clock Pacific. It ends about 9.30 Pacific, about 12.30 Eastern, well after midnight on the East Coast. Luckily, it's a short flight away from LA or from San Diego to Tucson, but it is still a flight. 
They probably didn't get to the airport until about 11, 11.30. Probably didn't get on a plane until about 12, 12.30. Probably didn't land in Tucson until about 2, 2.30. Then they got to wake up Monday and start their week. And then, oh, by the way, Tuesday, they got to fly out to San Antonio because Wednesday they have press conferences. So you're talking about getting into Tucson probably about 2 or 3 a.m. on Sunday and then immediately having to fly back out Tuesday. That is a quick turnaround. The schedule makers did them no favors. On top of that, you're now playing a Houston team, which I don't think I I don't think any team, any program gained more respect over the course of the first weekend than Houston. We all know what Kelvin Sampson has built, but something that I've talked about and something that I'll pro- at some point, let's let's put it this way. At some point over the course of the summer, when there's nothing else to talk about, I'm going to do my definitive list of the best coaches in college basketball. Kelvin Sampson's probably not going to be number one, but Kelvin Sampson is really high on that list. And I think this was the first weekend, maybe even more so than when they made the Final Four last year, that people realize how good this guy is, okay? So first of all, think about where Houston was when he took over. They were irrelevant for 30 years. Uh, you know, they had Clyde Drexler, they had Akeem Olajuwon. Those guys leave, they're irrelevant for 30 years. This guy comes in by 2018, they're a buzzer beater away. They lose to Michigan at the buzzer in the, the round of 32. Michigan goes on to play for the national championship that year. They could have lost in round two to Houston. Houston, a buzzer beater away from going to the Sweet 16. The next year, 2019, they play Kentucky in the Sweet 16. Tyler Hero essentially with a buzzer beater. So they're a buzzer beater away from going to the Elite Eight in 2019. 2020, there's no tournament. 2021, they go to the Final Four. This year, and we've talked about it, they lost their top two players in December. Marcus Sasser, Tremont Mark. You're not supposed to lose your top two players and not miss a beat. Only that's what Houston did. Easily took care of business against UAB on Friday night, and they beat the Big Ten regular season champion Illinois on Sunday. And so you look at this game, you see a Houston team that is physical, that is tough, that is fearless. I will say, though, I do kind of like Arizona in this game. And the reason I like Arizona is because they have the size and toughness to mitigate what Houston does best, okay? I I like Houston's guards. I don't think they're as good as Mike Miles from TCU. And so I think actually playing TCU probably helped them in this game because they're going to know if we don't come ready to play, if we don't come ready to bang bodies and fight and claw and scratch, we're going to end up losing this game. So I will take Arizona. I would not be stunned by the Houston side of it. Uh, If you're betting, this is probably one to just sit out. I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be competitive. I do like Arizona. The other thing to keep in mind, games in San Antonio, it's only a short ride from Houston's campus. I I looked it up. I think it's about two and a half hours from Houston to San Antonio. So that's something worth considering as well. Those are the Thursday games. Again, we will do a recap show on Thursday. We'll probably talk a little bit about some of these Friday games, but let me breeze through them really quick. First of all, early game Friday, Providence against Kansas. That is the four, the one-four matchup in the Midwest region. The game is in Chicago. Uh, I will say, Bill Self actually has a very good track record in Sweet 16 games. Uh, Bill Self has historically very much struggled in Elite Eight games when there is a short turnaround. John Rothstein put out a tweet about Bill Self in the Elite Eight. Let me see if I can find it really quick. John Rothstein's a busy, busy, busy man. Let me see if I can find it. I am going to see if, uh, let's see if I can find it really quick. We're nine and three all time, Bill Self in Elite Eight games straight, or in Sweet 16 games straight up. Kansas is a seven and a half point favorite, but I'll say this I don't think you can sleep on this Providence team, okay? 
Providence, never forget, regular season Big East champ, 27-5. and five. Beat Texas Tech in the regular season. Beat Wisconsin. I know they didn't have Johnny Davis. Uh, beat UConn at UConn. I mean, this is a good team. And so when I look at this team, probably wouldn't bet it. Um, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to take Providence. I don't feel good about it because Bill Self is really good. He's got a 75% win percentage in Sweet 16 games. But at the same time, I just look at this Providence team. I think they're battle-tested. I think they're tough. I think they're unafraid. And what I will say, too, it's not as though Kansas has not been bad. It's not as though Kansas has been great throughout these last few weeks, okay? Lost to TCU late in the season. Easily could have lost a second time. That round of 32 game against Creighton, they held on for dear life when Creighton basically had nobody left healthy. So go ahead and give me Kansas in that first game in that Chicago region. I do think they probably win. I do think it is close. Next game. I mean, this is the one. There is no point spread out for some reason. I think I probably know why. But how about those St. Peter's Peacocks? They are back, and they are playing Purdue. This game is in Philadelphia, and that is worth noting for one simple reason. Philadelphia is about an hour drive, an hour and a half drive from Jersey City where St. Peter's is. So St. Peter's only has 2,500 students on campus. I don't know how big their alumni base is, but I would imagine anyone with any affiliation at all to St. Peter's is going to try and get a ticket to this game and I'll be curious to see if the, the crowd in the stands that maybe had no rooting interest is now rooting for St. Peter's. With that said, listen, I could break down the numbers and the stats and the data and whatever. I don't see St. Peter's winning this game. I don't. And it's not that I don't like a good story. But first of all, historically, in general, when these big name upset teams get to the second weekend, it's, 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 it's hard, right? Because you win the big game in an upset. And then sometimes you're able to just offer the momentum and the adrenaline get the next one too. Where it becomes much tougher is when you have that four or five days off between the win in the round of 32 and your first game in the Sweet 16. That's when you go back to campus. That's when everybody's patting you on the back. That's when everybody's happy to see you. And then in the case of St. Peter's, that is when the national media descends upon you. That is when you know, you're doing more media availabilities and interview requests than you've ever done before. And on top of that, you're also dealing with the fact that Seton Hall has a job opening right now and everybody knows that Shaheen Holloway is the only candidate that they can go get to make their fan base happy. So you're dealing with that on top of everything else. I love the St. Peter's story. I think it ends here, but I'll also say this. I thought it was going to end against Murray State the other day, and it did not. Let's get to the late-night games on Friday, the final two games. First of all, how about this little blue blood battle royale? North Carolina versus UCLA. Fight, fight, fight. In Chicago, the winner plays the winner of the Providence-Kansas game. And a couple thoughts here. I mean, first of all, the big story coming into this one is the health status of Jaime Jaquez, uh, UCLA's big power forward. I should mention, by the way, UCLA is a two-and-a-half-point favorite in this game, but their big power forward, Jaime Jaquez, uh, went down with an ankle injury against St. Mary's, did not play late. Uh, he did not practice on Tuesday. There is video of him walking to the bus. Like, you know, it appears as though he's, like, physically able to walk. Uh, Mick Cronin has basically said, like, if he's literally able to walk, we plan on playing him. But you do have to wonder if he is at 100%. The one thing I would say about this game, though, is the one thing that does stand out to me, my hunch is pretty straightforward. UCLA is going to basically employ the 
game plan that they had against Gonzaga in the Final Four last year. No, UCLA did not beat Gonzaga. But at the same time, they sure as heck very much did slow it down, and they were able to keep Gonzaga kind of in a half-court game. And I do think a, UC, a, a, a North Carolina team that likes to run up and down, up and down, up and down, I really do think that they are going to make sure that this North Carolina team plays in the half court, and I'm not sure that's where North Carolina is the best. Now, I don't think North Carolina is going to be as bad as they were on Saturday when they couldn't get the ball past half court against Baylor. One, I think they probably worked on their, 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 their press break, and then two, on top of that, they also probably uh, are going to have a, you know, they're not probably, Caleb, Caleb Love, their starting point guard, followed out in that game. He will be ready to go in, the, that, in this game. And then on top of that, Brady Manick obviously is not suspended. He will be back. I'm going to take UCLA, though. I think UCLA is able to slow this game down. I think UCLA is able to do what they need to do. And I have UCLA advancing to the Elite Eight, where in the case of this scenario, they will be playing, uh, they will be playing, I guess it would be Kansas, right? They'd be playing, no, no, no. They would be playing Purdue. Excuse me. I think I said Kansas Providence would be playing UCLA, North Carolina. Correct that. That is wrong. UCLA will be playing the winner of Purdue St. Peter's. I have UCLA advancing to the Elite Eight. Final game of the night. This is the one where the winner will play Kansas and uh, Kansas and Providence. It's Iowa State-Miami. And listen, to all the diehard Miami Hurricanes basketball fans out there, I'm sorry. We're going to cut this review short. The episode's going long. I'm taking Miami. Iowa State's a great story. Iowa State was able to win two games when they scored in the 50s. And if we're being honest... Everything broke right for Iowa State, right? You get an LSU team without a head coach. You get a Wisconsin team. Johnny Davis is banged up. Their starting point guard at Wisconsin, Chucky Hepburn, goes down with an injury. I could go on and on, but to me, I just sit there and say, this just feels like a game that Miami is going to run away with. Miami, really good guard play. We saw it against Auburn. I do like Miami to advance to the Elite Eight. So those are my picks. Do with them as you please. Uh, But again, I do have Gonzaga beating Arkansas. I do have Villanova beating Michigan. I do have Texas Tech beating Duke. Houston losing to Arizona. Kansas beating Providence. Purdue beating St. Peter's. UCLA and Miami. Ooh, what a show. By the way, how about that? Imagine if that bracket plays out. Miami would be the last ACC team in this tournament surpassing Duke and North Carolina. What a time to be alive, baby. But I think it's time for me to get out of here. So with that said, I want to thank you guys and girls for listening to today's Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Regular show on Friday, recap, and we'll hit on whatever the other topics of the day are. Uh, And it's going to be a jam-packed show, going to be a really fun show. Maybe if there's any updates on those Friday games, we'll hit on those as well. Uh, Before we get out of here, make sure you're subscribed. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure you're listening to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I should mention, Make sure you're also subscribed on YouTube. I think what I'm going to do is if I think there's something interesting to talk about or something to discuss that maybe doesn't fit on the podcast, I'm going to do some standalone stuff there. So as an example, John Calipari had a press availability on Monday. He Not press availability. He did a radio show. He talked about Shaden Sharp, that five-star point guard that's enrolled but may declare for the draft. I did a whole segment on it that I think you guys and girls will enjoy, especially if you're a Kentucky fan. I'm going to start doing stuff on YouTube, a YouTube exclusive, if you will. So make sure that you are subscribed and following on YouTube. If you just search Aaron Torres, I'm impossible to miss. Closing in on 10,000 subscribers, which is really, really, really cool. To those of you who are subscribed, thank you very much. 
With that said, we got to get out of here. Make sure also to you're following on social media. I said you follow it on YouTube. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you're following on social media at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. That is all for today's show. Thank you to our sponsors, Manscaped. Make sure you use promo code Torres, 20% off plus free shipping. DraftKings, $5 money line bet. Gets you 200 in free bets if you win that bet. Links are in the show description. That is all for today's show. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. Shout out to Mike White and the Tennessee Collective. $8 million, allegedly, for a five-star quarterback. We'll be back on Friday, party people. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.